This is Paul Metza. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. We're going to have a really interesting show today. We have one of the Twin Cities' finest music writers, a fellow by the name of John Breen. has a book out called Dylan, Disc by Disc. It goes through Dylan's uh, entire recorded output, including 36 records. And the thrust is John did uh, phone interviews. There would be two participants for each record. Uh, I'm honored to say John included me, uh, along with the music writer from Detroit named Gary Graff, talking about uh, Dylan's Under the Red Sky. But before we start talking about the book, John, let's just get a little background on when you started writing for the Star Tribune. I've been writing for the Star Tribune. Let's see, they hired Sid Hartman, and then they hired me the next year. <laughs> Since 1935. Um on September 1st, it will be my 40th anniversary of being on staff as a music critic. Wow. That, uh, how it's many the only job I've ever had. Oh, well, and it's really a, a pretty cush job in a way in terms of how many free shows have you seen in, in 40 years? I've been to more than 7,000 concerts, wow. but some of yeah, they're free, but it's work too. When I have a deadline and you've got to write that review of Luke Bryan, when he gets on stage at 9.35 and the review is due at 10.05, that's a job. I uh, remember, I think it was a... Whether you like him or not. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, I'm sure it wasn't, it's not all roses, but I remember uh, after a... Springsteen show, I bumped into you and you were furiously um, writing away either at the St. Paul Hotel or maybe it was Mickey's Diner. But I've, I've seen you under pressure. And uh, by the time I get home, it's usually on the uh, Art Cetera blog, at least some of it, uh, maybe not the entire review. But it has to be an exciting job. Um it is. It's fun, to especially to discover new talent. It's it's fun to go see your old favorites again. But, you know, it's better than covering school board meetings, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know, as a journalism graduate of the U of M. Um, but it is a job at times. You know, right. you, you have to cover things that you may not want to cover. Um, you're not just covering artists you like. Um, so it is a job. And uh, I know, for example... If I'm remembering correctly, you wrote a review that Prince wasn't very happy with. Did he Did he actually rip the paper in part on stage one night, or what was that story? Well, there's probably several reviews he wasn't happy with, but this <laughs> this one in particular was, uh, I believe it was the review of maybe the Gold album, um, or was it Diamonds and Pearls? I can't remember which one it was, but anyway... He happened to be on Arsenio Hall that night. It was the night after the Grammys, and um, he burned my review live <laughs> on TV. What he didn't know is I was in the studio audience of Arsenio at the time. Really? And I was sitting with Edna Gunderson from USA Today, Sure. and I elbowed her and said, that's probably one of my reviews, because we couldn't see the close-up cutaway shot that they did on TV. Fantastic. And then so I go back and, and write it on my laptop and hop on the red eye, and I, I didn't see it, and I'm getting all these calls when I get home. Why didn't you mention it was your review? <laughs> because I didn't know it was my review officially until I watched the, the replay of the show the next morning. Well, th this is a little left turn here, but Edna Gunderson was one of my favorite writers, and she was very insightful about Bob Dylan, uh, I think, over the years. She was kind of one of my go-tos when, when Dylan came out with a new record. But she recently got let go from USA Today in the last year or two, didn't she? Yes, in the past year. Yeah, and then Robert Christgau uh, referred to in your book and other places as the Dean of American Rock Critics. He just lost his gig writing for somebody as well, didn't he? Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. I, I think he's been writing for the Barnes & Noble website and a number of other websites, and he also teaches at NYU. Yeah, but I know, you know, they let him go at the Village Voice, which I thought was unbelievable. It was one of the reasons i i love the village voice and uh yes recently let go from I, I can't remember what but but uh before we get in talking about dylan disc by disc the book you've seen over 40 years how the music business has changed but really so has music journalism in terms of gigs and uh and outlets for writers like yourself and so is the pay. It's gone down, <laughs> yeah. down, down. Uh, you know, there's more outlets, obviously, now with the Internet, but the pay is less and less for people. And, of course, there's fewer actual magazines than there used to be. Right. 
and there's more people who want to be writing and the tone has changed i think in the nature of it because a lot more people are doing blogs and in their own websites and that sort of thing and so you get back to maybe some more personal journalism for better or worse Mm -hmm. well i remember it you know we both uh were at ground zero uh minneapolis in the late 70s to early 80s was really the place in america uh for for music in terms of the replacements, Husker Du, Prince, uh, up and comers like myself, and back then there was uh, it was really fun, you know, as an independent artist to finally see somebody write about your work. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get you know write ups in New York and Boston and Austin, um, and of course uh, you mentioned my first record and you complimented me on my polished croak of a voice. Thank you, John. And uh, But it was, do you think that music writers have the same sway that they did, let's say, in the mid-80s? Well, first of all, about that polished croak of a voice, you did not tape the $100 bill to the, <laughs> to the record when you send it to me. i, I got to write that down. All right, next record. Just boom. kidding, <laughs> yes. Um, do we have the influence that we used to have? I don't know that music critics ever really had an influence. I mean, there are people that follow music critics and maybe use it as a guide, but have we ever made or broken anyone's career? I mean, a lot of people say, oh, Springsteen blew up because he was such a critic's favorite. But maybe that calls attention to an artist, but ultimately it takes something bigger than a few reviews. Sure, but in the 80s, though, I do think... The press, you know, if you got a good write-up in, in, say, the Village Voice or the Boston Phoenix or San Francisco Chronicle, the A&R guys were paying attention to that. It could help get you a record deal. Yeah, that's what I mean. It might get you a little airplay. I mean, sure, I I wrote, I remember writing uh, when Steve Greenberg, Lips Inc., had a song called Funky Town that was starting to take off in the clubs and elsewhere. A little tune called Funky Town. Yeah, and no local radio station would play it, believe it or not. And I kept harping about this. And finally, KS95, which was sort of a top 40 station at the time, took a chance and they played it and it blew up on that station. And, you know, so you can have minor impact, I would say, but I I don't think you're going to make or break a star overnight just because you write some endorsement. Well, you've been following Bob Dylan for at least 40 years and probably before that as a music fan. What was the inspiration for your book, Dylan Disc by Disc, that's a beautiful coffee table book in hardcover published by the Voyager Press, a Minneapolis-based publishing company. When did you come up with the idea for it? Well, someone sent me a letter with a $100 bill. To, no, no. <laughs> um, what happened is in 2013, I published a magazine-length profile of Dylan in the Star Tribune. He wouldn't give me an interview, so I went and followed him on tour for a week and observed him from different angles, from down close, from behind the stage, from all different angles at every show. Interviewed people he'd worked with when he was in high school, people that went to summer camp with him, people that have known him for a long time, and wrote this magazine-length profile. And after that was published, Voyager contacted me. They're a Minneapolis-based publisher, but they have, you know, they're an internationally distributed organization. And I'd done two books for him before. I did one on Led Zeppelin and one on Neil Diamond. And they pitched me the idea of what they called an illustrated Bob Dylan discography. So they wanted me to write essays about each of his studio albums. And I said, well, I'm flattered at the offer, but I said, frankly, outside of the Twin Cities, I'm not that well known. I I don't think, you know, I'm not Griel Marcus or, you know, Michael Gray or someone whose name is going to sell in association with Dylan. So I proposed to them, how about this idea if I moderate discussions between two commentators about each studio album, and we'd bring in all kinds of different people. My idea was to get critics, professors who teach classes on Dylan. Then I said, well, we'll reach out and try to get a few musicians and, and industry workers in the discussions as well. Well, and you have some incredible musicians here. Rodney Crawl, Dan Wilson, Eric Anderson, uh, Rick Ocasek, John Wesley Harding. Uh, Ike Riley, Suzanne Vega, uh, and Kevin Odegaard, just to name a few. And, and, you know, 
and Questlove and Paul Metza. Yeah, well, Questlove from yeah from uh, Jimmy Fallon's drummer and, and the Roots yeah, and the Roots, of course. But you know who I, I there's a couple of guys who I really enjoyed uh, the musicians. I mean, I enjoyed a lot of the different commentators, but I thought Ike Riley was very insightful, as was Joe Henry. Joe Henry, I thought was brilliant. Joe, um, for those of you who aren't familiar with him, he's a recording artist. He's a producer. He's worked with everyone from Bonnie Raitt and Elvis Costello and Alan Toussaint. And he's also Madonna's brother-in-law, which right. is neither here nor there. Right. Um, but he's a recording artist in his own right. In fact, he and his brother uh, published a book a couple of years back, a, a biography of Richard Pryor, the big Richard Pryor fans. And Joe analyzed Dylan both from the perspective or from the perspective of a fan, a musician, and a producer. So when he was analyzing the, the basement tapes, he was talking about the sonic quality and he could describe the size of the room based on how it sounded. Right. And if the room had been bigger, it would have had this sound or that sound, which I thought was just fascinating yes, insight. Uh, yes, I thought so too, John. In fact, I remember bumping into Joe uh, after or before a show he played at First Avenue and for it was it might have been around the time that I did the sixtieth uh, Bob Dylan birthday, the Million Dollar Bash at First Avenue, and we were talking about favorite Dylan. You didn't tunes. do the Bob Fest at Madison Square Garden with Neil Young. <laughs> I was no, I I didn't get that call, but I remember Joe telling me. I think your line was busy that day, Paul. It might have been, or or my phone might have been disconnected for lack of payment. But uh, I remember because you were sending hundred dollar bills to critics <laughs> and radio stations. But I remember Joe telling me his favorite uh, Dylan tune was a uh, uh, bootleg uh, or the uh, Basement Tapes era song "Sign of the Cross," which I had never heard. I've heard since, and uh, apart from being a very talented guy, he's got immaculate taste. The number one source of the Twin Cities gay scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities gay scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. Hi, I'm Matt McNeil, and I want to encourage you to join me weekday afternoons at 3 p.m. for The Matt McNeil Show. It's a Twin Cities-based full hour of talk where we discuss what's going on in the state and in the nation from a Minnesota perspective. We'll be joined by a lot of great guests, and we'll take your phone calls. Interact with us on the Twitter page, at Matt McNeil Show, the Facebook page, Progressive Citizen X, The Matt McNeil Show, and on email. Comment at am950radio.com. The Matt McNeil Show, weekday afternoons at 3, right here on AM950. Find a wide selection of outdoor hearth products at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces. Whether you prefer wood or gas, Woodland Stoves has the fire to fit your home. Pizza aficionados know nothing matches masonry oven baking for capturing flavor and nutrition. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces can easily install one in your home or business. Enthusiasts use these ovens year-round for bread making, wood roasting, even grilling. The mission and passion of Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces is to make the fire work for you. The way humans relate to fire is primordial. We have used fire to warm our bodies, cook our meals, and kindle our spirits. Our team has the know-how to do this in a clean-burning and environmentally smart way. Visit our store and experience the diversity. We have over 35 working units on display at the corner of Riverside and East Franklin. See us online at woodlandstoves.com. Find the fire that fits and works for you. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, out of the ordinary products and services since 1977. You're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the most informative source for progressive politics and news in the Twin Cities. Get involved online at am950radio.com where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter, check out the local businesses that help make this content available, and stay up to date on the latest news and upcoming events. You can always reach us by email at comment at am950radio.com. That's comment at am950radio.com. Thanks for listening. 
Victor's 1959 Cafe in South Minneapolis is a locally owned and operated restaurant offering traditional Cuban food. Open for breakfast and lunch daily with dinner Tuesday through Saturday. For night shift workers, Victor's even has both a morning and evening happy hour. And Victor's now accepts dinner reservations too. Stop in and try some delicious authentic Cuban cuisine like ropa vieja and seafood paella. Make your reservation and learn more at victors1959cafe.com. Victor's 1959 Cafe, revolutionary Cuban cooking. Another um, artist who's in there who um, really surprised me because I hadn't really talked to him before was Jason Isbell, who's a great Americana artist, has a great new album out. His previous album, Southeastern, won the Americana Award a couple years back for Album of the Year, and he's the reigning Americana Artist of the Year and is nominated once again this year. He's 36 years old, so he was the second youngest contributor in the book. And he analyzes like a college professor and a musician. He told me something that I'd never heard before. He did Blonde on Blonde uh, in collaboration with Jeff Himes, who's a music critic for the Washington Post and several other publications. And I asked, why do you think it's called Blonde on Blonde? And I always heard, you know, it was a takeoff on Brecht on Brecht, this off-Broadway play that was kind of a hipster thing at the time. And uh, Isabel goes, well, I think it's just plugging in the the blonde colored guitar into the blonde vibralux amplifier so he said in studio terms that's just called blonde on blonde huh. and there was complete silence on the the line <laughs> was from both me and jeff himes and like we had never ever heard of this theory before and it, it was like so simple right it, 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 and maybe it's true i don't know well, I always thought, you know... Because there's a blonde... There's blonde telecasters. Sure, absolutely. You know. I used to have one. But uh, before I had to sell it to pay my phone bill. But um, I, and the other... A couple other theories I heard about that title was... One, it had something to do with Edie Sedgwick. Uh, and number two, that it had some subliminal heroin references. We don't... I don't know anything about either of those. But uh, sounds like Isbell might have hit it on the head. Let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, professors that you get. You get, uh, you know, 55 participants, including writers and critics that prophesize with their pen. But you also have some very scholarly and intelligent uh, people who had a lot to say about these records. Um, Of those professors, I think I knew one of them. Hmm. And the rest of them were all shots in the dark. I Googled really? Dylan and looked up for people who taught Dylan classes around the country. A couple of them were referrals from other professors who said, oh, you ought to check out this professor. And I just called, you know, sent them an email, asked them if they'd participate. Did it the same way I did with all the contributors. I said, list the top ten albums that you would like to do in order of preference, and then list five albums that you absolutely don't want to do. Right. You know, so there was one professor, he ended up not being in the book because he wanted to only do the one of the first six albums. And, you know, the, we kind of front-loaded it, put some of the bigger names right. in the front, so, you know, we, we wouldn't want some obscure professor that no one had heard of. We like to get those people in discussions. But, yeah, I only knew, the only professor I knew there was from Boston University, who's the head of the journalism school, and my, my son happened to go to Boston University, and this fella... Um, Bill McKean had contributed to my Led Zeppelin book, although he was at the University of Florida at the time. And there was a fellow named Alex Lubet, whose name I've heard, who is a professor at the University of Minnesota. Correct. And I, I didn't know Alex. I still haven't met him. We've talked on the phone several times and exchanged emails. But he, do you know? Do you know exactly what sort of class, uh, Dylan class, he teaches there? Um, he teaches. I don't know if he teaches a Dylan class anymore, per se. He, he's a music professor, and he works in several different departments, as many professors do. Oh, actually, there was a second professor I knew. I forgot. Don McLeese, who's at the University of Iowa. And I, I knew Don as a, as a rock critic. He was at the Chicago Sun-Times before Jim DeRogatis, and then Don went down to the Austin American Statesman. That's where I was familiar with Don. And uh, Don became a professor of journalism at uh, University of Iowa, and he, um, last year for the first time, taught a class on Dylan in the media. You know, you have to enjoy 
the fact that Dylan dropped out of college at the University of Minnesota, and now there's dozens of college courses on Bob Dylan, the college dropout. Is that supposed to be irony, Paul? <laughs> I think so. Um, a, lo a lot of the, the greatest um, artists of our time are college dropouts. and You're, you're talking to one. I mean, at least a, a college dropout anyway. Right. And, you know, they teach classes on Madonna. They teach classes on Lady Gaga. Right. They teach classes on high school dropouts. Yeah. We won't mention names. Yes, we won't. They shall remain homeless. John, tell us about... Uh, one of my favorite writers over the years, and I'm I, I'm kind of a connoisseur of of journalists and writers, especially uh, music writers, is Joel Selvin, who was with the San Francisco Chronicle for years. And how did he end up with a record uh, knocked out loud that he absolutely absolutely detested? Well, Joel's a real character, real acerbic, real sarcastic. Uh, I met Joel when I went on the road with Dylan in 1986. Joel may be the only critic I've ever known who could smoke a joint at the concert and write a review on Deadline and it make perfect <laughs> sense. Um, Maybe he wasn't inhaling. And so Joel's response to my pitch was, I've got time for one hour of foolish, foolishness with you, Bream, so pick any album you want for me. And yes, it's a challenge to find some people to do the lesser Dylan albums. Right. So he did Knocked Out Loaded um, with Gary Graff, a critic from Detroit. I, well, that's so, the gentleman I chatted right. with. And so I've known Gary since the 80s. I've known Joel since the 80s. And we did these things. It was a conference call. You would call into this, this 800 number, and we'd all three be on the same line. And after I asked the first question, and they dutifully answered it, Joel, in his usual self and self, speaks up and says, I have a question now. Gary, what did we do to piss off Bream to get this assignment? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you look at 36 records, not all, not all of them are, are going to be blonde on blonde. Who came up, who uh, found all these fabulous pictures? I've seen a lot of them, but not all of them. But I think the, the pictures just work so well chronologically as they go along with the, the you know album by album um, Voyager found them they hired out a, a freelance editor and part of her uh, responsibility was to uh, track down the photos so they went to uh, various wire services Getty and and others to uh, to find them and we were looking for historical photos obviously and we, we came up with some so for the 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 Hardcore Dylan fans out there that just uh, can't get enough of anything related to uh, Bob Dylan. How many photos are in the book? Do you have any idea? A hundred, um, maybe? A little more than a hundred. Yeah. I, th I think if there's 36 chapters, I think we averaged uh, three or 3.23 photos per chapter. Yeah, including, uh, of course... Uh, cover photos of all the of all the album covers right now and, and originally as i said it was planned as a illustrated bob dylan discography and in the course of the project it, it took a, a pretty dramatic dramatic change from being uh visuals driven being photo driven to being word driven it was originally supposed to be um 192 pages with 300 visual images and we ended up with 240 pages and about 100 visual, you know, 120 visual images. Wow. We're going to be speaking with John Breen for the entire show. He'll be back in the third and fourth set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. John, is the book now on the shelves? The book is in bookstores. The book is on the Internet at Amazon.com and other sites. Yes. Wonderful. Back with John Breen. More on Dylan Disc by Disc in just a minute. Got white skin, got assassin's eyes I'm looking up into the sun, not tempting skies The Minneapolis Farmer's Market has the best selection of plants for your gardens, the freshest produce, meats, and farmstead goods. You'll find meat vendors, some homestead vendors, and greenhouse vendors in the early part of spring. Plus, there will be fresh produce when the weather gets warmer. 
The Hennepin County Government Center Market is open Tuesdays. The Nicollet Mall Market is open on Thursdays. And the 312 East Lindell Market is open daily from 6 a.m. to 1 p.m. More details at mplsfarmersmarket.com. Hi, this is Ken Hagland, host of Living Healthy and Aging Well, inviting you to listen to our new show airing on Saturdays from noon to one, where we talk about your health and your life and provide insights to living and aging well. Each week, we provide answers to important questions regarding health care, elder care, end-of-life care, and caregiver support to help you and your loved ones plan for the future and enjoy your highest quality of life today. Please join us every Saturday from noon to one for Living Healthy and Aging Well. Hi, it's Tom Hartman. You know, Continental Diamond is special for a lot of reasons. The owners are Jimmy and Helene Pessis, a husband and wife team who had a dream to open their own store more than 30 years ago. They built a business that is the gold standard. The readers of Minnesota Bride Magazine have named Continental Diamond the best jeweler for the last seven years. Why? Amazing, friendly, no-pressure customer service, a selection of fine diamonds and design jewelry unlike anywhere else, and the fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies are pretty great, too. Continental Diamond in St. Louis Park and at ContinentalDiamond.com. I'm Connie Burek, co-host of Awakened Living Infusion Radio Show. Join Michelle Kitzmiller and I as we focus on all aspects of health, wellness, spirituality, and growth from a mind, body, spirit, emotion perspective. On the Awakened Living Radio Show, we will discuss stress, self-care, fear, happiness, beliefs, communication, joy, pain, trauma, and more. Join us for the Awakened Living Infusion Radio Show Saturdays at 10 a.m. Let us share with you ways to infuse vitality into life. Do yourself a favor and check out the amazing cuisine of EatLocalMinnesota.com. More than just a website, EatLocalMinnesota.com provides you with the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities. Enjoy made-from-scratch cooking at the family-owned Milton's, specializing in dishes like award-winning ribs and plank salmon grilled up on their charcoal grill. Satisfy any sweet tooth with incredible desserts like Bananas Foster. Milton's menu also includes gluten-free options and a large selection of local craft beers. Reservations accepted for groups of five or more. Specializing in Szechuan and Peking cuisine, the Great Wall Chinese Restaurant has been a local favorite since 1981. They offer one of the most extensive menus in the Twin Cities. Favorites include the sesame chicken, imperial beef, and Peking duck. The Great Wall Restaurant is located off 45th and France with takeout available too. More at greatwallrestaurant.us. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Sam Turnberg. Tonight, a chance of thunderstorms with a low around 42. Tomorrow's showers with a high near 42. Monday, sunny with a high near 62. Tuesday, cloudy with a high near 58. And Wednesday, mostly cloudy with a high near 69. 80% of homes in the market need help with air sealing and insulation. Green Home Doctor will work with you to make your home less leaky and more comfortable in the summer. They can help you get energy rebates from Excel and CenterPoint, and they don't use subcontractors. Visit them at greenhomedr.com. John Bream, music writer for the Star Tribune here on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. We're talking about his great new book, Dylan Disc by Disc, that uh, has conversations from hipsters, musicians, writers, philosophers, uh, and professors, among others, about Dylan's 36 uh, record canon output and discography. What were some of the fun things that weren't uh, because there wasn't enough space that didn't make the book. Well, some of the interesting byplay, for instance, in that uh, Selvin graph conversation about knocked out loaded, at the end of the conversation, I said, okay, now I've got to confess to you guys. When I went on the road with Dylan in 1986, he gave me an advanced copy of knocked out loaded. So I had to listen to it on my little Walkman with uh, my headphones and then I had to give a reaction to Bob Dylan's face on what was wow. widely considered one of his lesser albums, to put mm -hmm. it politely. Um, some of the other interesting things, the conversation between... Well, um, so how did that go? How did that go with Dylan? Yeah. Well, when you're in those situations, Paul, you always have to play the diplomat right. and say something positive. Like, oh, I really like that song, song that you did with Sam Shepard or, or that right. Chris Christopherson song. Like, wow, I hadn't heard that for a while. Mm -hmm. You know, just like saying, you know, Chinese great diplomat. show, I loved your lights. Right, 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 right. <laughs> great vest you're wearing, Paul. Yeah, right, exactly. 
Um, so, you know, you just learn how to how to be the diplomat in that situation. One of the fun little byplays, uh, the conversation between the aforementioned Ike Riley and Rick Ocasek of the Cars fame. And Rick has since gone on to, um, he's had a, a modest solo career, but very successful as a producer of Weezer and many, many other acts. So Ike says, I got to tell you this, Rick. I got arrested once while I was listening to one of your records. It was the car's nightlife. I got pulled over the, <laughs> by the cops. Funny. And he, and he said, you know, what was were you drunk? And he said, well, yeah. And so the cop said, Ike goes, the cop says to us, he says, you got any cannabis? And Ike says, I'm riding with my friends who aren't too bright. And the my friend goes, no, we just have weed. <laughs> And that's why they call it dope. Yes. And so that's that's not in the book. Oh. But there was this little byplay between Rick and Ike. And, and Rick wanted to know, did he have to serve any time? Oh, funny. <laughs> and all that. And Ike said, no, he managed to get the whole thing expunged. Well, I know when I spoke with Gary Graff about uh, Under the Red Sky, the conversation was probably around an hour. So I imagine somebody had to do some judicious editing to uh, to fit the two or three pages that each record got. Yeah, the premise was that people would talk for an hour. Uh, two or three conversations and ran on to two hours. Um, the only one that ran way less than an hour was the one with Questlove, who has literally seven jobs. Right. And he had to leave to go film some kind of commercial. So, we, hmm. But he warned me up front that he had very limited time. Well, and he was, it was interesting, and who did he speak with? He spoke with uh, Wesley Stace, who's probably better known as John Wesley Harding. But then afterwards, we transcribed the interviews, and then I edited them down, and then Voyager hired another editor to edit them down oh. again. And then I looked at them and, you know, restored some stuff, took some stuff out, you know, a little back and forth. Well, you know, and I, I, I uh, my little joke about John Wesley Harding, who I... You and I hung out with at the 1996 tribute to Woody Guthrie at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Was that I always said if he had any guts, he would have called himself Blonde on Blonde. But that's beside the point. But tell us a little bit. Our friend Colleen Sheehy, our art maven, originally from Minneapolis, she's in Grand Forks. She's moving back to St. Paul. We can't wait to have her. But there was a little contention between her and Robert Crisco. Right, Colleen, who. Um Right now has two jobs. She's still finishing up at the Fargo Art Museum, and she's taking a new job at Art Space in St. Paul. So she's splitting her time between those two jobs and kind of transitioning a new person up there and learning her new job down here. But anyway, I wanted Colleen involved because she helped curate the um, the Bob Dylan exhibit that was at the Wiseman several years back, and then she also edited a book of professors' essays on Bob Dylan that was tied to a symposium connected to that exhibit. And so um, Bob Crisco, who I wanted in the book, you know, I, as I mentioned earlier, I asked everyone to submit 10 albums they're interested in doing, and Crisco goes, I'm only interested in one album, which was New Morning. So, of course, I'm going to give Bob Crisco his one album. Sure. And that was the one that Colleen was most interested in. And I said, would you have any concerns about talking to Bob Criscow? Because, you know, he's known as being, oh, let's say cantankerous right. would be the word. Um, and she said, no, that's fine. I, you know, I, I've talked to him before. I've met him before. And, you know, so there was some back and forth. And I, I don't know if I would use contentious, but they, they disagreed on a few things. And Colleen says, well, you know, as I, I got into studying Dylan more and more, I began to appreciate... His phrasing, and he phrases just like Frank Sinatra. And Chris Gow goes, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Right. You could tell that in the book. I think she says he sings as good as Frank Sinatra. And that's what he says. Although, uh, and I would have Curtis A. stand behind me on here. I do think he is folks' answer to Frank Sinatra in terms of his phrasing. Um, I've heard, God, I don't know, maybe 30 concerts most of his records i have saved the record saved that's the one dylan record i've never listened to and i'm saving it for my last days on the deathbed just in case interestingly enough though i thought quest love was uh it was interesting that that record had such an influence on him as a teenager i thought that was crazy right and that 
getting Questlove to do this project was the hardest get. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Um, I've got his email. I've got his phone number. Um, but I got no response. Right. And then finally... Um, you should have told him you knew Bobby Z. Yeah. And I've met him. He knows me. We've talked on the phone before. And finally, he invited me out to a class that he was teaching at NYU. He teaches spring semester at NYU a different topic every time. And this was a class on prints. And he had my prints book when he was a kid and all that sort of stuff. And he knows I'm well-versed on prints. So he invited me to come out and deliver the final lecture on prints. This was the whole semester. And he, he was team teaching it with a guy who um, writes liner notes and works in the music business. And so my assignment was to, quote, connect the dots. You know, so they had all these other speakers come in. And um, so they wanted me to kind of wrap it all up. And so I show up there and, you know, I'm in the, it's in the Clive Davis building at NYU. And I'm walking up to the whiteboard, making some notes before the class. And in Questlove, everyone calls him Amir, you know, right. when he's not being Questlove. Comes over to me and he says, what album you want me to do? And I turned to him and I said, I thought you want me to do Connect the Dots, so I'm just going to talk about general principles, not one particular album. Right. He says, no, the Dylan Project, what album do you want me oh, to do? Nice. And I said, well, Amir, you get to choose, you know, you can choose any album you want. Right. You know, I'm giving people their choice and I'm thinking, you know, of, of the names involved in here, you know, if he's not the number one name, he's certainly in the top three or five. So what do you want to do, Amir? And I'm thinking, oh, he's going to take Blonde on Blonde or, right. you know, Highway 61 or one of the other choice albums. He says, I'll do Saved. I said, you got it. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and uh, it turned out that he grew up, his parents were huge music fans, and oops, they became born-again Christians. Oh. And so he was subjected to listening to these Christian radio stations. And the only saving grace, no pun intended, is when the two Bob Dylan Christian albums came on. Right. You know, Slow Train Coming. Which is a great and, record. And Saved. And so he was a huge fan of Saved. Wow. As was Wes Stace, John Wesley Harding, right. um, who was going to a British boarding school at the time. And uh, Wes is five years older than, than Amir. But so here was Amir having this experience at age eight or nine. And here, and here was Wes having it at 14 or 15. Right. And um, the album had dramatic impact. I mean, Wes was describing how he walked, saw the cover where the original cover had these these two hands coming right. together with blood on them. And he said he was just riveted by the cover for good and bad reasons. And, right. and that album just had a profound impact on both of them. Huh. And who knew? You right. know, when you when you do these things, you know, I don't know why they chose him. And, and actually, Wes didn't put that on his list of, of things. I wanted someone who was formidable to be on there with Amir and someone who knew that record and Wes said he would do it. So I actually shifted him from one album to a different album to, to do that. Well, it's really amazing when you look at this book uh, with the 55 participants and yourself or just about any one else in the in the music business on any level as a musician or a producer or a roadie, every everybody has an opinion about Bob Dylan. That's true. Just about wherever you go, good, uh, bad, or otherwise. Good, bad, the good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what I really like about this book, we're speaking with John Bream, who just put out a great book on Voyager Press called Dylan Disc by Disc, is that. 36 records, and I'm a fan. I don't have all of them. I haven't heard them all, but this is fine. Shame on you, Paul. <laughs> well, like I said, I'm saving saved. We're, oh, we're, we're gonna, where it says Paul Metza, Dylanologist, we're going to cut the ist off there. <laughs> well, I wouldn't call myself a Dylanologist, although I have nothing but uh, massive respect for the guy and stuck with him through the highs and lows. And we'll never say a bad word about him because us rangers need to stick together is that um this is a go-to place you can go and go it's all together for you it's like a little library of dylan stuff that you can keep track of this massive recorded outward you know uh canon and uh, work works of his and we only covered the studio albums the 36 studio albums we didn't do the 11 official bootlegs right i think seven or eight live albums and god knows how many on our 
unauthorized bootlegs are out there. Yeah. Now, or the compilations, you know, the greatest hits and all that sort of thing. Did you actually have to count the songs? Because I, I always thought it was five, six, seven hundred songs. Um, but you said it's 406 original songs. Well, 406 songs are on these 36 albums. They're not all originals because there's cover songs. Right. That's a lot of songs. That he's recorded, yes. What do you think? In a lot of words. Right, a lot of words. And I once asked Bob Dylan naively, I said, you know, you don't write in rhyme, you know, the word, it's kind of wordy, it's verbose. How do you remember all the words? And he just looked at me with that Bob Dylan quizzical look and said, I wrote them, didn't I? <laughs> More with John Bream, music writer and author of Dylan Disc by Disc in the last set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Stay, lady, stay. Stay while the night is still ahead. To see you in the morning light I long to reach for you in the night Stay lady, stay Stay while the night is still ahead On Tuesday, May 21st at 7.30 p.m., Temple Israel in Minneapolis invites you to join them for Voices 2019, their premier annual event. This year's voices will be Anna Navarro and Van Jones. Anna Navarro is a well-known Republican strategist, political analyst, and contributor to CNN and ABC's The View. And Van Jones is an activist, author, CNN political contributor, and host of CNN's Van Jones Show. This event will be moderated by Barack Obama-appointed ambassador to Morocco, Sam Kaplan. All are encouraged and welcome to attend this intriguing dialogue. General admission tickets are $50 and doors for general admission open at 7 p.m. Sponsorship opportunities are available for a private reception and dinner with the speakers prior to the program. Purchase a silver sponsorship to savor wine and hors d'oeuvres or a gold sponsorship to enjoy wine and dinner with Anna and Van. Sponsorships start at just $500. Tuesday, May 21st is approaching quickly and the event is selling out fast. Call and secure your seats today at 612-374-0342. Visit templeisrael.com benefit for more information. Native Ritz Radio is proud to announce we've added an extra hour. Yeah, Chuchke, one hour goes by too fast. That's right, Uncle Curtis. I'll have extra time to share important information about our sacred animals. And report national and native news from all over the country and Canada. This new hour is sponsored by Robbins Kaplan LLP, dedicated to redefining excellence for high-stakes litigation representation in Indian country. We are awake the number one source of the Twin Cities gay scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ Media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. Connections Radio Show is all about tapping into our hardwired hunger to connect. We examine meaningful connections to ourselves, our community, and the world around us by opening the door to innovative insights by a wide variety of interesting guests. We'll make the connections to something bigger than ourselves. Join me, Lori Fitz, your host of Connections Radio Show, and together we'll make the connections. Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Hello, fellow AM 950 listeners. This is Jaja from Nightingale at 26 in Lindale. Come experience our delicious signature dishes and exciting rotation of inventive seasonal fare for my wife and chef, Carrie, and her team. Nightingale is the perfect place to gather for any occasion with our extensive wine, beer, and cocktail selection, along with our dedication to great service. We offer a full menu every day from 4 to 1 a.m., two award-winning daily happy hours, and weekend brunch at 10. More at nightingalempls.com. 
You're back with the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. We're speaking with John Bream, music writer and author of a great new book called Dylan Disc by Disc. John, how long did the book take you to uh, complete? Well, it's a long process. I mean, most of the time was spent on logistics. You know, the actual interviewing process was only about three months, but I would say that the project as a whole took nine months and then add on, of course, the... Um, the Sinatra album, which we added after we had completed the project, we delayed it um, by a month or two in order to include that. And then um, I think I up, wrote a little. Well, I wrote the intro to the the last project and also referenced the uh, music here speech he gave at the grant night before the Grammys. Very interesting speech. Did you, you know, I when I was uh, driving from up north today, thinking about. Uh, what we were going to talk about and the questions I wanted to ask. I really think there's, if there's a way to do it, it would be great to have an audio version of these conversations. They're all taped, right? Correct. Could, couldn't you have some sort of even clips on, you know, on your website or on the Voyager Press website? I mean, I think it'd be fascinating to hear the give and take with some of these individuals. Well, I think that's a great idea, Paul, but I'm old school. I use cassette tapes. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I don't think we have the audio quality for the for the most part. In fact, sometimes it was a little bit of a challenge. I did have to send, uh, you know, some of the participants wanted to see their transcripts right. before they went in. And thankfully, Mr. Kriskow corrected a word that I misheard. <laughs> he has big words. Yeah, we'll leave it to Bob Kriskow. Well, he's the dean. He is the dean, yes. So... What sort of, are you going to do any kind of a book tour with this? A book tour? Yeah, well, bookstores. I'm doing four events around the country as of now. Um, one in Nashville with the Americana Music Conference on September 16th. Oh, that'll be fun. That'll be a panel discussion. There'll all be panel discussions. There'll be a panel discussion at the Parkway Theater in Minneapolis on September 10th. There will be a panel discussion at NYU on October 28th. Hopefully, Mr. Questlove will show up. and Maybe Mr. Criscal. And then, yes, they're both teachers at NYU. Yeah. And then on November 3rd, it is at the Grammy Museum in Los Angeles. Fantastic. Well, Robert Santelli, who I met uh, when we were out in, in Cleveland in 96 at the Woody Guthrie Tribute, who was working with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, contributed to the, this book as well. What, what and right now he, he runs the Grammy Museum. Yeah, yeah, and he was uh, uh, one of the uh, principal architects helping uh, uh, incorporate his vision into the uh, Woody Guthrie Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I believe, as well. Right, and then he was the original curator um, behind the Dylan exhibit. It started out at the uh, Experience Music Project in Seattle where Bob had worked before the Grammy Museum. He helped put that together, and then when it came to the Wiseman here, Colleen Sheehy, who's also in the book, she grafted on a whole Minnesota wing to it, so it, it grew by probably 35% with what right. she added to it. Well, Santel so he, he, Santelli is, is a bit of a Dylanologist, and he's, he's written books on Dylan and books on what he got through his and, 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 and uh, he's got a book on the blues. It's like the 500 essential blues records. It's uh, phenomenal. Yeah, he's written all kinds of books. He even wrote a book on traveling to various baseball stadiums with his daughter. Wow. So Bob's he, a fascinating guy. Interesting guy. Now, what uh, record did he chat about in, this, uh, in your book? The very first Dylan record. Okay. So he did it with Dennis McNally, who was the longtime publicist for The Grateful Dead, and is an author of a book about Highway 61 and, and um, how race impacted people who lived on Highway 61. I have the book. Impacted He's, race and culture. Yeah, in fact, I want to have Dennis on one of my shows in the next uh, coming months. It's a, it's a really wonderful book. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I bumped into a guy. Have you ever met Diamond Dave Whitaker? No. Well, you know the name, Dave Whitaker, because he was the guy that gave Woody, uh, gave the Woody Guthrie Bound for Glory book to Bob Dylan. Oh, okay. And so I met him. He was just a, a homecoming. He lives in San Francisco. Then he told me a fun story about how he and a friend of mine, David Morton, who was 
in that scene. Uh, Morton was the guy in Robert Shelton's No Direction Home biography of Bob Dylan said, when the student is ready, the teacher will, will appear. And it's about Morton's effect on Bob Dylan. Morton lived in a, in a, still lives in a high rise, but lived with my father for 10 years, which is used to describe as like Richard Nixon in Abby Hoffman being in the same old folks home. <laughs> but Dave told me about how he... Uh, Playing he, pinnacle together. <laughs> exactly. How he and Morton uh, gave Dylan a ride to the outskirts of town on his way to Hitchhike Out to meet Woody Guthrie. So it was fun meeting Dave. What do you see? Do you have any other books that you're that you've conceived that, that uh, you, you might like to work on after, you know, after the, the this subsides, the Dylan Disc by Disc? Well, a new updated uh, edition of my Led Zeppelin book is coming out in November. That's already, you know, written and done. Um, but the next book I'm thinking about doing is sort of, um, I wouldn't call it a memoir, but sort of, uh, you know, the off-the-record tales, the interesting encounters right. I had with various artists over the year that you don't write about in these stories mm -hmm. you know sort of like that story about uh quest love and telling me the dylan right. record or the story about uh dylan and and having to deal with uh knocked out loaded in front of him right well it's kind of like the uh a fellow uh media cat in town like uh, mark rosen's book mm -hmm. in a way just life in the business. John, this is really a wonderful book. I'm honored that you asked me to be a part of it. John Breen's Dylan, Disc by Disc. You can get it on Amazon.com, finer record stores everywhere. Is there anything else you'd like to tell us now that you've, you know, you've had a 40-year history writing about Bob Dylan, put this book together? What, what do you know about Bob that we don't? What do we know about Bob that we don't? Hmm. Ah, I don't know that you want to know anymore about me. It's all in the book. It's all in the music. It's all there. Well, it's a, it's really a wonderful book. I encourage anybody that has a Dylan fanatic in the family, and almost everybody does, to get it. John Bream's Dylan, Disc by Disc. John, thanks so much for taking the time to talk uh, with us today. Uh, it's a lovely book. Congratulations, and I uh, wish you success uh, getting the word around and selling some copies. Well, of thank you for having me on the show, Paul, and that $100 that's taped to the front of the book, please give it back to me. <laughs> thanks, Johnny. listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This show was produced by Paul Metza and engineered by Brad Knobber. We'd like to thank our guests and our sponsors. And this is Paul Metza reminding you to be kind and make someone happy.